open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. We arrived in Kumasi to see 50 plus patients that had already been pre-screened. We operated on some, we gave advice to many. We were unable to help them all. Just being there for a few hours in the clinic, we understood the breadth of the problem and the limitations to what we can accomplish. Most patients traveled four plus hours to get to us. Most patients had a visual impairment for at least years. The determination of most of these patients and parents was very palpable. We were their only option for some sort of solution. That passage is an excerpt from a blog post featured on the website of a nonprofit organization called Project Thea. Founded by oculoplastic surgeons Drs. Jen Will and Katie Duncan, Project Thea strives to provide free medical and surgical care to underserved communities within the scope of oculoplastic, reconstructive, orbital, and facial surgery. As they describe, the eyelids, lacrimal system, and the orbit play an integral part in maintaining proper vision. Its function and aesthetics are crucial to patients' quality of life, particularly in the regions that Project Thea currently serves. In this episode, I touch base with Drs. Will and Duncan to hear about the inspiration behind Project Thea, the type of patients they are treating and surgeries they are performing, and their hopes and dreams for the years to come. Here we go. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and I'm so excited to talk today to uh, Drs. Jen Will and Katie Duncan. Jen is an assistant professor of ophthalmology at Pittsburgh in oculoplastics, and Katie Duncan is one of her recently uh, graduated fellows. And I actually have the pleasure of having both of them on the phone today to talk about a project that is just fantastic. Uh, The project is called uh, Project Thea. They're going to do a better job explaining it than I will. But when I heard about it, I thought of this as sort of like Operation Smile with an oculoplastics bent to it. And not only restoring patients who have disfigurement from an aesthetic standpoint, but also restoring the vision um, for patients who potentially have exposure issues. So um, what Jen and Katie are doing are are finding uh, patients in in, uh, underdeveloped areas and partnering with other organizations and other surgeons to not only go in and help these these under-advantaged or disadvantaged children and women uh, who maybe are one surgery away from having a normal life, but they're also teaching. And uh, when I heard about this, I met Jen actually recently at the um, American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting down in New Orleans. Um, and when she, when she was telling me about what, what she had done and what she and Katie are doing together, uh, I just had to have them both on the podcast to talk more about it. So with that being said, that little intro, Jen and Katie, thank you so much for spending some time this evening to unpack uh, maybe the backstory of, of how this uh, came about and also talking more about your vision and maybe even getting other people, giving them some information on how they can participate, um, if not in person, but uh, perhaps even just financially through donating to your charitable organization. So Jen and Katie, thank you again so much for coming on tonight. Thank you, Gary, for having us and um, allowing us to talk about Project Thea, um, our passion in, like you said, to 
um, help um, patients who have both disfigurement and vision loss as a result of that disfigurement. So thank you for having us. Yeah. So um, Jen, I'll just start with you. I assumed uh, when when Katie was your fellow, you had some conversations about maybe some shared passions in this area. Uh, we've talked about this just a little bit, so I, I kind of know a little bit, but will you unpack a little bit um, and tell us a little bit about how those conversations started when you reached a point where you said, you know what, there's such an unmet need here, first of all, and then second of all, we have to be the ones to do this. How'd that start? Both Katie and I um, have had experiences in doing international medicine previously um, in our uh, years and our medical career. We talked about sort of how there are different organizations that help um, cure preventable blindnesses related to, um, you know, cataracts or um, corneal-related diseases, um, and people are out there um, with organizations that um, try to solve that problem um, globally. And then there are also organizations that are out there helping, um, you know, children and adults with facial disfigurement um, related to cleft palate or cleft lip, or uh, organizations that help patients with trauma-related injuries and burn-related injuries um, to really sort of change their life from the trauma that they've experienced and allowing them then to, um, you know, regain their confidence and going out there and be sort of presentable and realizing their potential. And we thought that what we do uh, in oculoplastics um, sort of is that crossroad between those two things where, um, you know, patients, obviously, children born with congenital ptosis where they have a droopy eyelid can uh, look aesthetically um, different for someone uh, in some of these cultures, um, but they can also lose vision as a result of that. So we um, looked into whether there may be organizations out there that do sort of what we do, and um, there weren't really any. And so um, we decided to um, start our own uh, nonprofit organization focused on solving the uh, surgical problems that cause patients to lose vision as a result of um, congenital problems or um, injury-related scarring around the eyelids or eye socket or tear duct um, issues. And so um, that's sort of how we started. So Katie, let me, let me uh, switch over to you. So you're a fellow and Fellowship is hard enough on its own. Um, I'm sure that Jen was, um, she kept you very busy. How was it that you said, okay, I've got enough time and capacity in my world to add this charitable project? It had to be a passion project. On, on, on its surface, this does not sound like something that uh, you would do because you just had so much extra free time. This had to be something that you were really passionate about. Walk me through that. When did you decide, okay, I'm going to find the time to make this a priority? Yeah, so uh, it's definitely a passion project. And I think, you know, it's a passion project for both Jen and I. We're both busy. Even though I'm a fellow, she works super hard too. Um, and I think we really bonded over how much um, sort of international outreach has meant to both of us in our careers. And we talked a lot about how you know, going out there and helping people who may not have access to this kind of care kind of is the core of what we all went into medicine for, you know, to really make a difference in somebody's life. And um, being able to do that sort of reinvigorates you and reminds you of, of why you went into the field you did. So I think, you know, everybody's busy, but it's actually doing things like this that actually um, 
you know, are most exciting, I think, to me and to Jen and sort of make everything worth it, all the hard work worth it. So that's sort of um, why we wanted to do this. Talk to me about your first trip and, and maybe, um, Jen, you can answer this. How many, how many trips have you been on so far? Um, just quickly, so I, I have a perspective of, of uh, I know it's a relatively new organization. How many trips mm-hmm. have you all taken? So we've gone on three trips. Um, and so we've been in St. Lucia and um, Ghana and India. The St. Lucia trip was really just to connect with the uh, organization down there. The Ghana and India trips, we were there um, both um, for over a week um, where we actually you know met with the surgeons there. Um, did surgeries, saw patients, and then um, provided education as well. And walk me through an ideal patient. Um, it, it, I'm sure it's, if someone you know has already lost vision, sure you can help them aesthetically, but maybe it's not as much of doesn't have as much of an impact. Who is your ideal patient that you're looking for to help in Project Thea? So when we um, were in Ghana, we you know. It, just like when you first go into medicine and you meet the patients and they make an impact in your life. And so some of the ideal patients that are um, re- that really, um, you know, kind of fit into our mission. Um, we had a couple of kids that we saw um, who had congenital ptosis, um, whether unilateral or bilateral. And they were significant enough that um, they were developing um, amblyopia as a result. And so um, for us to go in and be able to do the surgery and lift their eyelids up and watch um, in the postoperative period how their entire behavior is different as a result of um, seeing more, um, that's you know what we're there for and that's the impact that we're hoping to do with um, Project Thea. We had a patient um, that was this woman who uh, was a teacher. She was the sole provider for both her uh, kids and her younger siblings. Um, where she was in a um, bad car accident where she lost her eye. She had a fairly complex brow and eyelid laceration um, that no one knew how to repair. So they just let that settle um, by um, secondary intention. And she essentially couldn't wear a prosthesis as a result of the upper eyelid, um, you know, being scarred to the conjunctival surface and not having a fornix. Um, And so she felt like a monster as a result of um, not having an eye, not being able to wear prosthesis, having this very unforeseen scar across her forehead. She had sought care um, all over Ghana and just couldn't um, find someone to do the surgery that was needed. Um, we were able to do um, a um, buccal mucosa graft and create fornix for her. We constructed her upper lid and, um, and repositioned her brow. And then we were able to provide a um, prosthesis that um, was donated by our ocularist in Pittsburgh. While, while we were there and she um, took off the patch um, in, in her post-operative day, she you know, sort of was crying um, the tears of joy in terms of just knowing how different she already looks. And, and we, we didn't even um, provide her with a prosthesis um, at that time yet. Man, those stories, you know, it's, it's really, it's amazing how perhaps underappreciated this, this need in the world is. Um, it's, it's easy as a cataract surgeon to uh, look out in the world and say, okay, number one cause of, of preventable blindness is cataracts. I'm going to go be a cataract hero and knock out a bunch of cataracts in a week mission trip. And mm-hmm. you know that's, that's a lot of fun and, and uh, it's great to do that. But this is, um, 
it really seems like in many ways, you know, the cataract patients, yes, they've probably already lived in many cases a good life. We're not talking about peds, people, you know, here we're talking about generally the, the elderly. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you are perhaps really changing the course of not just one person's life, but a, in some ways children. So they've got a full productive life ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And in other, pe- in other ways, you know, a lot of these women are the primary caregivers, as you mentioned, for mm-hmm. not just themselves, but their entire extended family. And if they're not able to get a job or maintain a job or um, feel confident enough to go out and, and better themselves... Um, it's not just them that suffers. If, even if it were just them that suffered, that's that's horrible in and of itself. But there's a lot right. of downstream um, effects of that. And it kind of shocks me just as, as we're talking here that there is not another organization out there that is looking into this. Um, does does the problem just seem overwhelming sometimes? Maybe, Katie, you can you can speak to that. I'm sure when you go to these places it has to feel a little overwhelming that there are so much need. How do you handle that? It is it's a difficult situation because I think one thing that sets oculoplastics apart from, from cataracts is that every patient is going to come in with a different problem. You know, you can't approach every sort of trauma case or every um, lid scarring or every ptosis even the same way. And um, there are some cases that are actually so complex that we do need things like um, general anesthesia or imaging that's not available. And so um, it is tough because, you know, there are a lot of people we can help who don't have access to um, some of the services we could provide. But then there have definitely also been cases where, you know, we just aren't able to help them. And that's a tough thing, you know, because your goal is obviously to make a difference for people. But um, at times, you know, there are things that are just beyond what we can do with the resources at, at the place we're visiting. So, you know, we're just trying to help as many people as possible. And and I think um, one big thing has been making a lot of connections and finding out, you know, what each site we're visiting really needs and hopefully um, introducing them to people who can provide some of those resources and, and just doing everything you know we can with those limited resources. One thing we talked about offline earlier was there's sort of a whole new level of innovation that you all are trying to take on with regard to um, creating or providing creative solutions um, in places that don't have those resources. Um, Jen, can you walk us through that a little bit? Tell us about maybe some of the ideas um, that you all are thinking of or ways that you can do more with less in, in some of these underdeveloped countries? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we um, you know, have some short-term um, ideas and some long-term ideas, and they sort of expand in, in, in um, you know, how we can deliver care, um, but also how we communicate um, with the local physicians and how um, those physicians can communicate with their patients. You know, we all have cell phones and there are um, so many, um, you know, software applications out there that allow us to be closer in terms of how we communicate. And so, you know, when we um, see these patients um, and um, we left them for, you know, post-operative care, um, the local physicians can, you know, take an image for us. They can um, send it to us through various different messaging platform that then allow us to be able to communicate with the physicians there, um, make sure that the post-operative care is in, you know, in the standard in which we're used to, um, be able to use this platform then still for 
um, education purposes in which we're sharing ideas, we're sharing you know, information, new surgical techniques and different things for them as well. And because I work in the university and we have access to uh, various biomedical engineers and business um, students and such, um, we are also um, in a process of, um, you know, developing material that can support a wound and, um, you know, in its initial time of injury to allow for less tissue damage and maybe perhaps make the complex surgeries that we do to uh, restore, um, you know, scarring and function of the eyelids be less complex. Sort of a bridge, a bridge to therapy. Yeah, yeah, sort of a bridge. And so um, these are actually, this is actually a a material that um, is patent pending um, currently. um, And we're, you know, Katie and I are on this team where we're working with the biomedical engineers and trying to come up with this material that's, um, you know, can be of structural support um, in the time of injury, um, but then also deliver drugs um, that then can reduce um, the collateral damage at the time of injury. So those are the things that we um, think of that perhaps can be useful in places like Ghana or India, um, where they may not have access to subspecialists like us right away. But um, this material as a uh, wound um, support, um, structure support um, may be helpful. Um, And then we're just, I think we have four or five different ideas that every time we go there, you know, it, it just makes you, um, when we're on one of these trips, it makes you sort of think about um, how can we uh, improve the way the care is delivered? How can we provide simple solutions that can help with, you know, problems that um, they, you know, they may not have um, access to. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're um, in the early stages of um, these ideas, but we hope to at least take some of them into fruition so that, um, um, you know, they can be helpful to um, places that don't um, have access to subspecialists. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You know, I've taken some design thinking and innovation courses and um, finding unmet needs. That's the first step in innovation. You know, it's not having right. that great idea. It's actually finding an unmet need. And uh, when you go on a trip like this, unmet needs abound. And so it's probably very stimulating in terms of uh, innovation because you're you're seeing all of these uh, unmet needs. Right. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. Um, tell me about the name, uh, Project Thea. Who came up with the name? I think we were just brainstorming, really, and uh, and we're thinking of all all different types of options. But um, Thea is actually the Greek goddess of light and vision, and so um, I don't know which one of us actually found that, but uh, we both liked it a lot. One of our colleagues in Pittsburgh um, helped design a logo that that we felt like fit really well with sort of our mission and, and the name Thea. And so we kept it and that's how we started as Project Thea. No, that's awesome. And tell me about the future. What are you guys, what are your hopes and dreams for Project Thea? Um, is it that you go on a mission trip a couple times a year and are able to incrementally um, sort of help the people that you see and teach or do you have aspirations that you are able to spin this out for multiple surgeons taking on these projects and, and scaling? Uh, where do you think the future is for Project Thea? Um, so every time we talk about Project Thea to our colleagues, you know, whether they're just general plastic surgeons or oculoplastic surgeons, um, um, everyone you know, is um, very excited about coming on one of our trips with us. And so um, we're actually collecting a list of um, uh, surgeons that, uh, 
you know, may go on these trips um, besides Katie and I. We are hoping to take, um, you know, at least two trips a year um, because we want to be able to, um, you know, once support the um, local clinics that we um, have developed collaboration with. Um, and, you know, once the word gets out that we're there and doing some of the surgeries, um, then we, then um, the patients um, come. And so we don't, we want to be able to go back and do some of the surgeries. We are hoping um, to establish programs that allow um, these clinics to um, provide surgeries when we're not there. So, um, you know, in Ghana, we're um, in the process of developing a pediatric oculoplastics program for them, where uh, we're trying to find the resources for, you know, proper anesthesia, uh, proper monitoring during anesthesia, um, so that these kids can be safely put under general anesthesia and then be able to uh, undergo some of the surgeries that um, we would do. Um, and we're hoping to um, also then educate the um, ophthalmologists that are providing care there with um, just the principles and knowledge of um, how to do some of these, um, you know, congenital ptosis or simpler procedures and, and, and making sure that um, they can do these things when we're not there. So I think those are some of our short-term goals of being able to um, establish uh, programs for um, the places that we've already gone to and then um, and keep it going. I think some of our long-term hopes and dreams are to be able to um, you know, come up with the innovations that then um, can help um, on a on a different level. You know, surgeries are always going to be surgeries, and and um, but you know, what if we can, um, you know, reduce um, the need for some complex surgeries, provide um, solutions for them where they can have um, better um, communication platform with their patients and um, and educating them and different things and helping them with how they deliver their. Um, healthcare to their patients, then I think we have achieved more than what we're hoping to do. So, what does it cost, just nuts and bolts, um, to take a trip? Um, is there a general cost that you have a number for, or uh, maybe a cost per surgery? You know, these things are not inexpensive uh, to mm -hmm. fund. So, any ideas or um, thoughts on that? Right. So, every time we take a trip, um, you know, uh, we, we do take uh, support staff with us, nurses, and um, and uh, and we um, you know take donations um, of supplies from industries and from um, you know healthcare systems. Um, but you know, I would say that every time we go on one of these trips, um, it's it's about um, twenty um, to twenty five thousand dollars just to be able to um, you know provide a week's worth of surgeries in terms of all of our sutures, instruments that we take. We're trying to get an anesthesia machine for, um, and, and all the monitoring for um, the program that we're starting. So, um, you know, we, we create a budget, but I think that's roughly um, how much it costs to kind of um, and keep it going. You know, the, the, some of the clinics that are in these locations, what they do is adult cataract surgeries are obviously um, paid by patients who can pay in these countries. And what they do is they take the funds that they make from doing adult cataract surgery, and then they, um, you know, put it back towards developing these pediatric programs, um, then that can, you know, provide some free, you know, quote unquote, free surgeries for right. um, these kids. Um, because a lot of these countries don't have 
you know, the government support um, in terms of insurances and, um, you know, the the um, compulsory um, system that's set up. Set up. Um, so they have to make themselves sustainable. So they take what um, can make the money, the adult cataract surgeries, and then they take that, those funds that are generated from there, and then, um, you know, essentially put it back um, to serve the community um, that then can't pay um, for some of these um, um, health care. Right. But you all have a website, and you, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a 501c3 charitable organization. So yeah. um, I've actually been on your website. I actually already donated to Project Thea. I love what you guys are doing, and it's very easy to donate. You basically just go on there. You click Take Action. It's projectthea.org. So I'm going to spell this out, P-R-O-J-E-C-T-T-H-E-I-A.org. You click on Take Action, and you can click on Make a Donation, and it's really simple. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I love the heart and the why behind it, and this these are the kind of things that, as you mentioned at the beginning, it does remind us about why we why we all went into this. It wasn't just to um, you know drive through the suburbs to our uh, to our office and surgery centers, take care of those who have needs and, and are of means, and uh, drive back home. I think it's something we all have a uh, a responsibility in some way to do. And whether that's actually going and doing the surgery and setting up organizations like you all have done or simply um, supporting these kind of organizations. I think we all have a responsibility to give back. I really just wanna challenge and um, at at least um, have everyone who's listening to this think about sponsoring Project Thea. Um, It's an amazing organization. As you can all hear from from what they're describing, um, this is an organization that is at its infancy and is already changing lives. And as they go go about their business and take care of more people and train more surgeons, um, this is something that is going to have a domino effect for a long time, and the ripples are just going to keep getting larger. So, with that being said, um, any any final words that you guys would like to say about Project Thea, about other ways people can either contact you or get involved with what's going on? Well, I think on our website, um, just like you mentioned, Gary, um, we do have the take action button where people can easily donate through that to support us um, in our missions. We are also on social media. If I can um, make the shameless plug for um, our Facebook page, (laughs) which is just Project Thea. And we're also on Instagram um, as Project underscore Thea. And people can follow us on Instagram um, when we're on our trips in terms of um, the patients that we meet and um, and just some of the stories that are behind you know the pictures that we take of um, of the surgeries that we meet and they may get a sense of what it is like um, when we're in one of these locations and doing what we do and um, if anyone uh, wants to join us on one of the trips um, you know we can be reached through our email um, that is also on our website. Um, but it's also Prothea, P-R-O-T-H-E-I-A 2017 at gmail.com. Excellent. Katie, any final thoughts? Just echoing everything uh, Jen just said, but also, you know, support doesn't always have to be financial. So even just spreading the word about Project Thea is great. Um, We've gained so much by just making connections through friends and friends of friends. So, um, you know, any connections or any um, support in terms of sharing uh, our message is also greatly appreciated. 
Excellent. I'm going to leave us with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that is actually on the front of your website. It's one that is near and dear to my heart as well. It says, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And uh, Katie and Jen, I just really appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. And if there's any uh, ways that we can participate in the future um, or follow your story, uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Gary, for having us on and helping us spread the message. Absolutely. As busy as we are and as demanding as daily practice can be, it's sometimes difficult to remember to look at the bigger picture, at the world outside of our walls. However, we all know that access to ophthalmic care and health care in general varies greatly around the world. Fortunately, we can all play a part, whether by founding a nonprofit, attending a mission trip, offering financial support, or simply helping spread the word, we can all contribute to the efforts to combat global health issues. I thank Drs. Will and Duncan for their outstanding dedication to Project Thea and for taking the time to speak with us today. To learn more and to see how you can help, visit projectthea.org. I'm a sponsor, and uh, it's really easy to do that. And with that, this has been Dr. Gary Wirtz with another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thanks for listening. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.